this week's conversation was one that I thoroughly enjoyed, Ty. You know, we've only had the opportunity to kind of interact with Lynn in mostly a formal business setting and getting the chance to just get to know her for, you know, 60 minutes, peel back the curtain a little bit, hear about her story, how she built this thing. It's, it truly is like an incredible story that she has. Yeah, I kind of didn't know what to expect on this one, right? Because we've been in meetings and been on calls and stuff like that, but you're right. I mean, this literally is the first time we've had a chance to, to just speak in like an informal setting. I mean, looking at Lynn's stats and kind of like her list of accomplishments, I mean, graduate of Stanford Business School, which is where she met Ed Fenster, and, and literally they created solar as a service. Like the idea was born then. Co-founded Sunrun in 2007. Um, she was named top 10 most powerful women entrepreneurs by Fortune in 2009. Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young in 2010. She's one of Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, 2013. Named as one of Forbes' Top Women to Watch in 2015. Named as the Top, four, top 40 Under 40 by Fortune in 2018. And just recently was named Top 100 Female Founders. Um, and that was by Inc. Magazine. But it's crazy because those accomplishments, they're impressive. But I don't know what you think, man. Just like having the conversation, I left that conversation thinking to myself, like, I need to level up. Like, it kind of made me, like, check, you know, how much I've been mm -hmm. working on my personal development over the years. Did you get that? Well, in, uh, absolutely. But more for me, it, like, reminded me how passionate that we can be about this job. And she is so passionate about what we're doing and for her it's just so obvious this isn't like about the money like she has a purpose this is uh, her mission in life you know to change uh, an, an entire industry so it was really inspiring yeah I, I felt the exact same way everybody I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode so we'll quit yakking and get to it this is uh, Lynn Jurich CEO of Sunrun you got to keep the big picture that hey we're changing the world we're changing the world if you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We're really excited to sit down with Sunrun CEO Lynn Jurich. How are you, Lynn? Doing very well. Happy to be here. Well, thank you for being here. Um, we're excited to talk to you. Uh, you know, the announcement of the companies coming together and stuff happened at a time when everyone was kind of siloed and, you know, in their homes and stuff like that. And so I feel like we're just now starting to get acquainted with each other and, and we're excited to have you on. Um, to kind of start out, so you and Ed Fenster are kind of um, credited with starting the industry as Adam and I and our sales force kind of know it. Right. Like this, the, the PPA world and, you know, third party owned solar and even like no down payment type solar, you're really credited with with creating that. So maybe give us some tales from the early days. Like sure. how did that idea come to be and and start up? Sure. I'm, and more than credited, we did it. There you go. <laughs> we'll take it. it. <laughs> Who gave you the right to, yeah. to, to come up with all these great ideas? You know, we had looked at solar 
um, and just all the investment that was happening in this solar panel. And if you think about it, solar on the International Space Station was, you know, 200x the cost of where it was. This is 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so we said, there, this is the technology that will really change the way energy is produced and consumed because it can be produced locally. And you know, this is the, really the first time where you can have a minimum efficient scale of energy and put it where it's actually being consumed. And so we looked at that model and thought, you know what? Homes and rooftops, that's the place to go first. It's the most expensive place to push power to. So you'll beat you know, traditional power first there. And homeowners love it. They always want to invest in their own independence. They like to take control. And we just needed to find a way to make it affordable. And this is you guys sitting at in Stanford yeah, Business School, right? right? Well, I, what I wanted to know is like, I want to go back before that. Like, how did the whole you're just sitting around drinking coffee? Like, you know what we should do? Solar. Yeah, you know. Well, how does it work at Stanford late at night yeah. at business yeah, school? Exactly like, you got some happened. Funyuns open, and you're like, I've got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is this is how it works. I think you know, Ed and I, we had both been in finance before, so we were investors. Um, we had, you know, really prestigious jobs and jobs that were going to pay for business school, have us come back at a vice president position when we came back, but. Oh, so you are already working and then went back in exactly. to get your MBA. Oh, okay. And so what I learned from that experience, because I talked to so many different entrepreneurs during my time in venture capital private equity, that their lives were just more exciting than investing. And they were impressive, but I thought, look, you know what, I can do this too. And so it just put a bug in my ear that I wanted to start a company. Hmm. And then when I went back to business school at Stanford, I spent my summer working in China um, in finance as well. And the pollution there just rocked my world. I, it was in 2005 and it was, there were cranes you know, everywhere just building mm -hmm. and just exploding. And just to look at that and think how many resources we're using in this world right now, I wanna be an infrastructure. I want to do something, you know, meaningful that way. And, and, and in direct response, really, to all the tech stuff that was happening at Stanford and in the investment, you know, community where I was before, I thought, no one's paying attention. Where are the smart people investing in infrastructure? Mm. Um, and since I had cared about the environment, you know, and just had that prepared mind for it, when Ed, my, um, my, my classmate, approached me with, hey, this solar thing looks really interesting, I was ready to jump at it. That is crazy to me. I didn't know you were working in finance and then went back. And so you were kind of like uniquely tuned to that yes. frequency. Because a lot of people, like we had um, Jeff Curl on the show who started Stance and Skull Candy and stuff. Mm -hmm. And his process, you remember, he was saying that they, they, they went through and like looked grocery at store. all of these industries. Yeah, and they would go to like the grocery store oh, and like what things need to be disrupted. And I'm always fascinated at people's process. Both wildly successful, but it's like, how do you pick that thing? You know what I mean? So well, it's almost like you're in China, you're dealing with the pollution, and then you're like, this is insane. Then you come home, and your buddy is like, what's the deal with exactly. solar? Exactly. How did he get interested in it? He, he had a friend who was in the war, and you know, similar experience, which was, hey, we're going to, to war here for natural resources. You know, yeah. there has to be a better way. Um, and, and so it was, really, it was really personal for both of us in terms of the mission of the business. We, you know, we had wanted to be entrepreneurs, but that was really secondary to, let's just you know, do something with our lives that's not buying and selling companies, which it's fun, but it's just not. It, you know, when, you, when you meet an entrepreneur, it's all about grow the pie bigger. And sometimes when you get stuck in a 
um, you know, in more of a finance job, it's about how do I get my slice bigger? Mm. You know, and that orientation, that orientation of a win for all and just create something, it's just so much more energizing to me that, um, you know, I was ready for it. I was ready for it to fail. Um, my, you know, I, I started the company a week after I got married. Because why not? Because um, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and my husband and I, we had an arrangement which was, okay, we both want to be entrepreneurs, but we can't do it at the same time. He was at Harvard Business School at the time. I was at Stanford Business School at the time. We're both sort of trying to look for a, a cool idea. Yeah. Sunrun came first. So, you know, he said, great, okay, I'll go back to my job in private equity. We'll, we'll support us. We can help fund the business. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but, you know, and this is Brad, my husband, but there's going to be a day where I get to do that too. <laughs> I imagine you guys probably didn't see a whole lot of each other in those early days, it was right? A, it, was a, it was a whirlwind, but it was fun because then he, he had done three years of the investing. Sunrun had gotten off the ground. We had raised capital. We were paying ourselves now. So then he started, he joined a, a entrepreneur and started a company as well in the skincare business. So we had very gender role reversals <laughs> here with, you know, I'm, you know, the woman in energy and he's, you know, the man in, um, in skincare. Um, but but skincare is a thing. There's a lot a of men thing. in skincare right now. Like that's like, that's like a thing where a lot of people are getting in and it's like becoming like a really big I'm, industry. I'm wondering, like, I mean, clearly you and your husband are wildly successful, very competitive, I'm assuming. What are board games like at home? I mean, <laughs> well, are they I like, know, I mean, are we I, flipping the table over as you lose a game of chess? Like, what's happening? Like, I love know. that question because I think when we first met each other, we were very competitive. And if I'll just be immodest for a second, we were both fighting over who's a better athlete. So, so we had both been married, and he he was drafted for professional soccer one year. He's still he still you know has his record you know that stands Mm -hmm. twenty years later in um, in college. Um, So we kind of got a little competitive first on in sports, and you know and and really you know sort of fell in love that way in in many respects. Um, So that was the first you know ounce of competition. But you know what we have um, doesn't come out all that much because we, we both know what each other is going through. And in those early years when it was, you know, Sunrun was making some money, so we were writing personal checks into his business. I mean, this is, this is, this is risky, you know, very yeah. risky stuff. I think we, we were on the other side of, you know, some success and some financial success, but it was not obvious. We took, you know, major risks because, again, we believed in it. We thought, okay, if we have to go, you know, we're young, we don't have children. Um, I started the company when I was 27 years old. Um, so it's like, let's now's the time to, yeah. you know, just go for it. Yeah, it's good that you had like that, that insight and that you recognize that time, right? Because we, we recruit a lot of people that in some aspects are, you know, the, the direct sales for this company is pretty entrepreneurial, right? Absolutely. Like they come out and most people now that we're recruiting as the company is getting bigger and the opportunity is getting bigger, the, the talent is exponentially better. Like the people that we're bringing into the business now are far better than the people that we were bringing in four years ago. We're getting people leaving careers in other industries to come knock doors and sell solar because they see the opportunity. Yeah, and it's 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 been interesting to see that. But it, are you and um, you know in your relationship are you guys do you discuss your businesses like or is yes. it one of the you do? Because it's got to be like you're both interested in the absolutely. The same thing, we're right? so interested in it and and just the. And, and I think everybody who works with you know our organization and is out there in this entrepreneurial fashion, you know it's emotional. You know it's you have to 
have the confidence. You have to get your head straight. You have to figure yourself out to do this really successfully. And so we've really been partners with each other around that, both in terms of just how do we become better people? How do we become emotionally balanced? How do we, how do we maintain you know, that sort of presence and the ability to just operate on that EQ level mm -hmm. that resonates with people instead of just being a frantic, stressed out, you know, um, maniac. So we've been really coaches with each other on that. And, you know, our favorite thing to do is go for a really long walk on, you know, Sunday, go for a really long hike and talk through all our respective issues. I don't know. Is it emotional? This job? <laughs> yeah, this is an emotional uh, job. Me, me, I, me and Adam had a fight this week. We had a fight. We're still in a fight, actually. <laughs> we're just being professional currently. Okay, well, I'm here to mediate, guys. I was putting on a happy face right now. The moment this is over, I'm out of here. Um, I am curious, though. I, so every business goes through its big peaks and valleys in the beginning. Could you share with us one of those times where you're oh, like, absolutely. man, this, is, this thing's hanging by a thread, and where, like, you felt it like the panic of, I don't know if this is gonna happen, and then how did we get through it? Absolutely. So we started the company before the financial crisis, 2007. And, and we had come from these financing jobs. So we thought, oh, raising the capital, that's the easy part. We know how to do that. We know yeah. how to raise millions of dollars at scale. That's sort of our expertise. So what we really do need to prove, though, is that homeowners will buy solar as a service, you know, that they will actually sign a long-term contract for something they don't own, and that that's a viable business model. So I personally said, I need to, you know, be, if I'm going to dedicate my life to this and give up this, you know, lucrative job that was on the path, I need to know personally if this is going to work. So I want to do the sales myself. And I feel like that's a mistake a lot of kind of new entrepreneurs can make too. you know, new CEOs is, is they may say, okay, let me hire the sales guy. Got it. No. I went out there, I was, you know, like many of you at, you put the, on the, polo. at the farmer's market, <laughs> put on the polo shirt, yeah. putting the flyers on the, on the, at the subway station, on the cars, um, and, you know, was selling the product myself. So got enough confidence that, okay, this is, this is working. But it required a ton of cash because we were paying, you know, and back then, solar panels were 10 times what they are now, yeah. 10 times. Um, and so we were paying, you know, $50,000 to install this system as a startup with our own savings. What was the cost per watt back then? It was, well, the cost just for the panel was $4, you know, so the panel now is under 40 cents. Yeah. So it was, you know, and, and um, it was pretty crazy. And um, so for anybody who complains about what the selling price yeah. is, okay, when I sold this, these first contracts, they were- like seven bucks a water. They when were, you had to do they down were payments like, and stuff, We right? had down payments. We sold, I sold, I think the first contract with a $13,000 upfront and a 13 cent PPA rate. This to somebody who doesn't own the system, right? To yeah. a startup company. So what happened was we we had raised the money, we funded it with our savings, um, and we were putting out you know fifty thousand dollars at a time to install these systems to get enough of a pool of them to then go to a bank, because you had a chicken and an egg problem. You, you, no bank was going to want right. to finance against those cash flows if you didn't have enough of them to do all the work and the diligence. And the financial crisis hit in the middle of it. And so we had had all these term sheets for you know, the project finance, um, and then all of a sudden it was like Lehman went under and everybody was like, oh, I have no more tax capacity because you know, mm -hmm. we fund this through the tax credit. So it's like if these banks aren't paying taxes anymore, they can't use the tax credit, the model breaks. And so there was a time period where we were just 
out all of this cash, unclear whether or not we were going to be able to get the financing. Um, you know, talk about sleepless nights. Every night, you know, I'll acknowledge I was like drinking NyQuil to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And and then we just, Ed and I looked at each other and said, we, we have one term sheet left with the U.S. Bank. We have, you know, put the blinders on, laser focus. We're going to get it done because we have no choice. And that was it. We, we got it done. $40 million wow. in the middle of the financial crisis for a startup selling to households. You know, so it was pretty cool. Well, you didn't have cool. the data that showed, like, hey, this is what attrition looks no. like. This is what, like, cancellations could look like. This, you didn't have any of that. Right. I mean, in fact, the, the, if I, I believe the early customers, their whole buying thesis was this company's going out of business and then I'll just own the system. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we would get asked that all the time in the early days. Yeah. Like, what if your company goes out of business? I'd be like, Lucky you, I guess. Yeah. No, I Who's going to come collect this thing? <laughs> you know? Exactly. I feel like that um, kind of volatility in the market lasted for a pretty long time. So I started in 2013. You started when? 12? Um, and I, we kind of came into the business. And I had thought, you know, I was over at Vivint Inc. I wasn't the first to come to solar. I had waited for maybe a year, year and a half. And so in my head, knowing very little about solar, I thought, okay, yeah, I've kind of let them like figure the things out. Now the company's solid and joined. But I feel like, I mean, with our stock price, right when we went public and then just tanking and then the up and down, I feel like it took 10 years past what you were just talking about for the markets to start to actually trust the model, for them to realize that, hey, these customers are going to pay their bill long term. These assets are worth... Because I would always look at it and say, okay, this is a 20-year, 25-year power contract. It should be worth this much. But then the markets didn't seem to respond. So maybe, did we just hit a tipping point where they're starting to see that, and what, what caused Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I think we hit it in 2017, 2018. So I think it took a solid 10 years mm -hmm. for us building this, building the track record, um, and for some of the competitors that came in to shake out. And, and we may be seeing a situation right now, too, where it's getting a little frothy. The reason why I think we've been successful, so if you look at the early days of Sunrun, we were three times the size of SolarCity. Then SolarCity got public. We had some you know, capital issues. They accelerated ahead of us. Um, but we really focus on sustainable growth. You know, my mantra always in this company is this is a generational company. Hmm. This is not a, this is, this is energy takes some time. Um, and, you know, and, but where we're going to be in, in 20 years and 30 years and, and 50 years, I, there's no place else I'd, I'd rather be because I think it's going to exponentially continue to increase from where we are now. But there was that time period where it was really looking like an attractive market and a lot of capital coming in and people being irresponsible with raising too much debt and mm -hmm. getting into trouble, chasing growth, um, you know, without, without profit. And because we stayed really focused to that, we turned cash flow positive in 2017, 2018. So we really proved yeah. these businesses can make money. You don't just have to believe that the cash flows are going to come in and, you know, 15, 20 years, they're, they're making money today. And that was a, a, a tipping point. Today, we're reaching a whole nother tipping point because of the addition of the battery, which I, I'm sure we'll get to mm -hmm. in a bit. But, I, you know, we're only still at 3% of U.S. households. And so if we just grew the industry at 15% every single year for the next 10 years, we're still only at 13% of households. 
You know, Australia today has 23% of houses have solar. Hawaii is there. Is there places in you know in California are you know much higher. So we're just 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 getting started, which is pretty exciting because you look at our companies and you know huge market cap now, 500,000 customers. We're, we have four gigawatts of solar, which means we are one of the largest owners of solar globally. Mm -hmm. So big utility companies, everything, we're one of the top, all from residential rooftops, but we're only 3% of houses. We haven't even got EVs, we haven't even gotten batteries out there. You know, utilities spend $120 billion every year on capital expenditure. We're gonna have to spend $2 trillion over the next 20 years to build out our energy infrastructure, we're competing with all of that, with every single one of those like utilities and people who are doing it inefficiently in a dirty fashion. That is one of the biggest markets in the world to be a part of. Is it hard? I know we, at, when we were Vivint Solar, we went through this like emotional roller coaster with our stock. I mean, it was just like, you know, this crazy thing that we had to always sort of you know, deal with. Remember we were down and everyone would text us, what's up with the stock, man? It's like, I, Stop. Hold tight. Hold take it personal when the stock goes down? I, no. It's not. It would have been when I was younger. Yeah. It's not anymore. Let me tell you. Because it was for us. Like, when it would go down, I'd be like, I don't know. Well, like, it's such a we, competitor I'm thing, like, I'm too. You, like, this is amazing. You know, I'm like, telling all my friends, like, I don't know, dude, you just cost me 10 grand. So, like, you told me this was a great company you work for, you know? The, the, you know, the market gets it right over the long run. You right. know, the advice I give a lot of people is, when though? When are we gonna get it right? When? Because we've been waiting. We've been waiting a while. I feel like we're. It got a little funky today. It got a little funky today. Did uh, it? I haven't even looked. I don't I, even look anymore. I don't look either. I, I don't look either in this. But I feel like order. the stock. And I know you, you have to be careful what you say about you know stuff. But um, I look at a CEO of a company and the stock. Isn't it almost like your own personal like popularity scale? Like goes down yeah. and we're like we don't like Lynn today. You know, and then it goes up and we're like, we love Lynn. Like, is it, like, is it hard not to like have it feel that way sometimes? You know, that's, that's, you can't stay in the game this long if you, if you can't, if you haven't figured out how to deal with that. And I think, and I think that's why I don't get too excited when it goes up. That's what I tell people. When it goes up, it's like, I'm not going to get too excited because then I have to get upset when it goes down. You know, I'm confident over the time period that we're operating in, this is, this, the market will get it right. And if you, back to the size of this market, if you look at the top 20 utilities, that's $500 billion of market cap. You know, and we, again, that's for the, you know, and, and we haven't even shifted all of the combustion engines over to electric. I mean, electricity is gonna be an even bigger piece of the economy, and who's gonna lead that? It, you know, we're, we're right in position to be leading that transition on a completely different scale than we have been in the past. Just to give you an example, when we went public, five, we went public five years ago, um, all the research analysts, you know, if you looked at their reports, how they valued us, they essentially assumed the company was, would end in five years. They said, oh, the tax credit's gone in five years. These yeah. companies won't be around. Just short term. Zero terminal yeah. value. They gave us zero terminal value in the, in the stock price five years ago. Today, we just raised a convertible debt with a five-year maturity where, you know, the, it, it, at, a zero coup, at a zero coupon. So it, it's like the market, the market yeah. is so different in it's five like years. like bipolar. In five years, it's going to be in, you know, we're going to be even that much more further ahead. And I think that's, you know, one of the exciting things about the Sunrun, you know, and Vivint Solar combination is, is you know, it, it just 
felt to me like, hey, this is the right time where things are going to really pick up. Let's solidify that number one position so that we have, um, you know, the best cost position. We have the most amount of capital to invest in product differentiation, in you know, in um, R and D, um, in the brand, in you know, being the the best place to work and. As we, you know, pull that whole story together, I think no one's going to stop us. I think this 2021 will be a pull-away year um, for us. So let, let's talk about that piece because we're obviously very interested in that because, um, you know, Bywater had told us um, when he announced this deal. First of all, complete surprise. Like, <laughs> you know, we we oh, like no idea it was happening. It's like zero. Like it was so funny because David's good at keeping it close to the vest. Oh man, he really is. Like, like we found out like 20 minutes before the press release. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's one of those things where um, you know when interests align and you can see the bigger picture, all of a sudden we're fast friends. But got to remember, I I mean I've worn orange for 18 years, so it's like. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, these blue guys that you've been fist fighting for at least five years, they're your brothers now and your sisters and bring them in. And, um, but he did say that in your guys' conversations that you and David had known each other for four years yeah. and had, you know, obviously same bank, same path, same meeting, yeah. same industry. But he had said, and you can be honest with us, he had said, <laughs> Lynn said that she wouldn't have touched us four years ago. And it got to a point where she, you know, the company had seen what we've been doing and now was the right time. So you touched on it just now, but maybe talk about from um, a then outsider's view what you saw um, with, with Vivint Solar in, and what improvements made it so that you felt like this was a good partnership going forward. Yeah, great question. I think, you know, both companies were... We knew each other, of course. We were both, but we were both just building our own organization. So, you know, build up um, all the operating infrastructure, get it to a place of, you know, good utilization, really invest in the customer experience and the best practices around that. And so I think we're both just pretty, you know, heads down, getting our own businesses really, you know, in order. And, um, and so it became obvious to me that, okay, you know, we're, we've gotten to a place where, you know, I think both companies are very high quality. We're um, underwriting, you know, sustainable contracts. So it's not, you know, we're not buying share. Um, you know, we're both, both companies really care about quality. Both companies really care about like that long-term reputation. And so, you know, it became the right moment, I think, for the combination because we had that mutual respect and we had been, you know, in touch for multiple years, which made it that much easier to, you know, pull the trigger on it, especially in a COVID environment. I, you know, David and I, I think the last in-person meeting we had to discuss the, um, the transaction was in February. So we, we spent, you know, a day together in February. And then, of course, you know, March, everything started shutting down. And, and then we... Uh, uh, announced the deal in, in July. So David was really the only person through that time period that I had interfaced in person with. But mm. because of the history that we had and the mutual respect sure. and, you know, we were able to um, What was the get moment though? Like what was the moment where you thought, hmm, maybe we should, maybe we should join forces with these guys? Uh, yeah, I think the moment, again, the, the battery changes so much for me because I think it turns this market into a really competitive, hey, yeah, there's scale advantages and we have, you know, the league and we have, you know, better, um, you know, better CX and better platform tools and things, but it's still not so hard for a solar installer to kind of pop up and, you know, compete. Mm -hmm. 
And I think the market structure is going to shift away from that to more of a winner-take-most market um, because the system is getting that much more complex with networking your, you know, your assets, your solar and your batteries together, and serving, you know, the grid services and building these virtual power plants, um, and just the expectations that consumers have around somebody who, you know, has the sophistication and scale to be around for the long run and to monitor your system and have a good, good mm -hmm. customer engagement. And so, because the industry was shifting more to that winner take most I thought okay well let's let's get bigger so that we can accelerate you know it even faster and and previously I think it was just still a more of a fragmented type structure um, so that's what really that was what changed for me have you seen that in other in other businesses where because um, it seems like that's kind of how the alarm industry was where mm. like uh, you know you have one that starts up and starts to get like a lot of traction and then um, there's all these little ones that just pop up everywhere and they drive you crazy for like a year or four <laughs> and then kind of eventually they just are gone mm -hmm. right and somebody mm -hmm. has has won mm -hmm. uh you know it, i know that was true in the alarm industry but i wonder if you with your background in finance is that pretty much how it goes um it, it's cyclical you know and and but but i think that what's it depends on what the actual industry structure is so if your industry structure benefits from a network effect you know we all hear about this network effects like you know you can start to to run away where you know every little node makes your network more valuable mm -hmm. like you know if you're airbnb and you have more homes you get that much more valuable you you know run away from um, vrbo um, you know so i think the network effect that's happening in our industry is this concept of the more assets you have around the, on the grid, the more services you can provide to the grid, the more peak power you can provide for the grid, the better counterparty you are for a utility, the more reliable you're gonna be to actually be there to serve you know, the overarching system. And so then that gives you, and then therefore we can lower our costs because we have another place to make revenue which is you know selling the peak capacity, which then makes us that much more competitive, which then builds on itself. So yeah. it starts to move into like more of a network effect structure. Um, you know, it is is where I think we're going. Do you ever, as you've grown from startup CEO to thirteen billion dollar company CEO, that's a that's a massive growth like arc for you personally, right? <laughs> True. And you've had to constantly. So I, I oftentimes feel like I'm like one lesson ahead of like the guys that I work with. Like I'm just like one like YouTube lesson ahead of like in leadership. You know, you made more mistakes than they have so far, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, believe me. Um, so one, I wanted to ask if you ever sort of have that feeling of inadequacy as we've grown so big. But then the other thing is, um, I feel like something most leaders have to do is learn how to say no at times. Mm -hmm. And like I see your brain like working with like all these different, you know, options that we can take the company in the future with all the different things we could bolt on to yeah. grid services and all these things. Like is saying no a big, like, cause I'm sure there's people that come to you with all these ideas all the time and you mm -hmm. have to go, this is what we do. This is what we're doing. Yeah. Like, do you constantly reevaluate the direction that we're going? Well, a couple things in there. I mean, I think one, um, I did have a real, a real sort of intense time in my journey as an entrepreneur and CEO, which happened around, it was, you know, probably five years into the company as we were going from, 
you know, a few hundred, you know, a few hundred people from the stage where you used to know everybody's name to, okay, now you actually have to scale. You got to get executives underneath you that you can really trust and delegate to. Mm -hmm. And I was still young. I had never worked at a company before. And I had, and it was a tough moment in the industry. It was in that time period where Solar City was growing faster than us. I had, and you it's know, it's not so, just Solar City, it's Elon Musk. Yeah, and, and, it's like, and, I, mean, and it's I had, like, you know, executives that were, you know, I, frankly, I didn't feel that they believed in me. So I did have the, the, the doubts. Like I, an imposter Syndrome yeah, and and so I just sort of had to decide at that point. Okay, am I gonna suck it up and learn this and conquer my own, you know, psychology and um, and not take this and bring in a you know team that shares my values that wants to run hard at this, you know, that I really enjoy working with, or or is it just time to kind of hand it over, you know, to somebody else? And so I really went through a very deliberate. Let me, you know start to meditate. Let me read as many books as I possibly can. Let me just get in touch with myself. Like, do I want this? Am I going to, you know, and, and as we've learned, I'm pretty competitive. And, you know, one of the things that always drives me is I always, I'm, I have a lot of interest, but I, when I start to get into something, I want to be the best at it that I possibly can. So I'm going to study it. I'm going to like make mistakes, but I'm not going to berate myself. I'm going to like get better and get better and get better and get better. And I approach leadership that way. And, um, and, you know, there's, and I think, and I think it was kind of a painful time, but I made a lot of progress and I've really um, allowed myself sort of the freedom to be like, hey, this is just, life is kind of a little bit of a game here. Like I used to be so driven and so outcome oriented that it was like, I was forgetting to have kind of fun. Yeah. And so I just kind of switched over to like, you gotta enjoy the ride. You gotta it's, laugh at yourself as much as you possibly can. You, you're not gonna like be perfect, but like, hey, if you're gonna live, like, swing for something big. You know, like, I'm, I want to keep swinging for something big. So the bigger the scale gets, like, the more impactful it is. Like, the more I get to push myself. Well, it seems you know where you're coming from the finance world. The standard mo is to sell a company every five to seven <laughs> years, right? So yes. you build this thing. You get to this sort of impasse where you're like, okay. Maybe I've taken this thing as far as I can take it. And with your background, it would almost seem natural for you just to start looking for opportunities to sell the company at that point. Mm -hmm. So what what was it that made you decide, you know, I don't want to sell this one. Like this is my baby and I'm riding this one out. Yeah. Well, I think it's the it's this other philosophy I have, which is a lot of people think about their careers way too short term. And I've always thought about, okay, I want to work for the rest of my life. Hopefully I live in, you know, until I'm 100. I'm, I'm going to work for, you know, I'm 41 years old. I'm going to work for another 60 years. So this is, this is me when I'm I 30. just came to grips with working for another 18. You said 60. I didn't yeah. know you were going to say 60 just now. All right, hold on. Let me, ca let me catch up. Let me catch up. So if you, if you think about your career like She's built that, to work, man. No, I get it. I just... Follow her because... She, you literally saw my brain like crack through another level just then. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, well, you know, hang on to that Sunrun stock for like another 60 years, okay? Yeah, sure, I mean, sure. I mean, I mean come, on, come on, come on, come on. Official statement. Hang on to it for 60 more years. Wow. No, but, but when you think about it for that, when you think about your career for that long, you start to chase different things. It's not about like, hey, do I make a few more dollars here or like a little bit of a better title there? It's like, how do I actually just become like 
a much more capable human being and push myself on like every dimension possible because who knows what you're gonna be able to do in 20 years if you do that. You know, if I took the easier path I would have in business school, I would never would have started this company. I had like the premier, you know, job. I would have had my business school paid for. Instead, I was like, you know, had to pay my tuition, had to, my husband and I had to, you know, like bring in zero income for a while. And, and but I don't regret it for a second. I think, um, I think that's, that's advice that we constantly give our leaders is, and you know, these guys, a lot of them come from seasonal sales. So it's mm -hmm. literally like, Yep. four month blocks yep. and a lot of them are in school and they want to get to what they want to do and so it's always this idea of one more year one more year one more year and um one of the things that that i thoroughly believe after being here for almost 20 is you're going to be here longer than you think because yep. the opportunity is better than you'll find anywhere else so yeah, what absolutely. else are you going to do yep. right um but i think the thing that's interesting about your leadership development that you just talked about is your competitive nature almost says like stay out in the driveway keep shooting grit determination you'll get it <laughs> leadership development mm -hmm. from what and I want to get into your leadership philosophy it almost forces you to go internal let go a little bit slow down yep. breathe think through question things not just push through things totally. so how would you um, describe your leadership style yeah. like what are some values true to you that you try to um, employ like in your in your business yeah I try to I, I kind of look at the world from a above the line and below the line fashion. So what I mean by above the line is when you're above the line, you're in this place of curiosity and openness and things feel kind of light. You're not really attached to any specific outcome. You're not, because who knows what is good and bad. I mean, I could tell so many stories about like when I thought something was bad ended up being good. So like, those are all stories. Mm -hmm. Like, so don't be attached to anything specifically and get curious and get really present. You know, the below the line is when you're, you know, you feel like you have scarce resources, you're, you're fearful, you, um, you feel like it's, uh, you know, yours versus mine kind of mindset. And so I just feel like the more we can operate in the above the line, you, you know, most people were below the line most of the time, you know, but the more we can push up into the above the line, you get more creative solutions. It's more personally enjoyable. It's less physically taxing on your like system. Um, and so I really, I really use that simple framework as a way to just like check myself. Okay, so I know certain, I know certain behaviors of myself where I'm getting unhealthy. Like, um, you know, again, it's, I'm too attached to some specific outcome. I'm like, you know, find myself like really like digging in on something. I find it heavy. I find it to be serious. Those are like trigger points for me to try to flip it. Hey. Is it really this serious? Yeah, I have a preference, but I can kind of hold it lightly. And, um, and you know, trying to just get into that space as much as I possibly can. And it's, and it's you, you train your system for that. You know, that's why I'm such a big believer in meditation. I, I just really believe in like, you know, the nervous system and the patterns we all get into. And, you know, it's like, it's like physical exercise. Like you need that same thing for your nervous system. And, um, and so I think that getting a little more on top of that has unlocked more of my, creativity, ability to be effective, ability to, you know, resonate with people. And, and I think particularly that I think the most effective salespeople, the most effective people on the door are those people who are on that like nervous system wavelength, you know, with that customer, right? 100%. It's like they, they're present, they're there. You're like, you're just resonating on like, not just an intellectual level, you're resonating on another level and like, that's a daily practice. And that's for somebody who's, you're just doing this for a summer. 
yeah. incorporate that into your day. How powerful are you when you finish your, your summers if you've been able to like, you know, just train your body a little bit more in these high stress situations, you know, out in the neighborhood where you've actually like, you can, can have conquered that, you know? That's an amazing life experience. We're five months into this marriage. <laughs> What's something that's surprised you? <laughs> I am so pleasantly surprised about how similar culturally the two companies are. The, there has been, you know, when you talk about this big of an acquisition, $3 billion, you know, combining thousands of people, you think there's going to be a lot of people drama, you know, and especially when you do it with COVID, right? But we have had the most complimentary, you know, leadership team come together, complimentary skill sets, but shared values around, you know, again, you know, putting customer first, building sustainability for the long run, you know, these other values that I talked about, which are, you know, get curious, hold things lightly, you know, have a little bit of fun. Um, I think we both share those. And so it's been, it's been really a pleasant surprise that I don't deal with very much people drama. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think we all were bracing for a lot more. Like, it's, it's one of those things when it's like, hey, you're getting a new brother, and you're, like, stoked on it, and then you're like, hey, that's my <laughs> bed, and brother. that's my dresser, you know what I mean? But it hasn't really been that way, so. I think we all, I think we all had so much, sorry, to, we, we all had so much respect for David on our end, and yeah. obviously your team had so much respect for you. I think yeah. the two of you guys together, after all your combos, it probably became very obvious it was just going to work yeah. as well, so. I remember asking David, I was like, David, is this a good thing? He's like, it's a good thing. I was like, all right. You know, like he's, <laughs> he had that kind of mm-hmm. um, trust with the sales force because that dude constantly just gave of himself for mm-hmm. this opportunity. And I think mm-hmm. everybody really David really is an incredible leader. And, you know, we're still, he's a great human being, incredible leader. Um, and so I think I've learned so much from him and we're still working together and really enjoying it and having a great time. Well, we're getting the, the notice that we got to yeah, get you I out of here to. and on the road. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Hopefully it's not the last time yeah, you're on the show. Yeah, of course. I would be delighted to, uh, to come visit again. Yeah, we love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And this has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.